Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA, 710 IM, Dave Denholm. And what a crazy time it is because transfer window time is closing here in MLS and abroad and crazy stuff happening. But it is it is a beautiful time for the beautiful game. Once again, I am Dave Dunholm here on the home of LAFC, ESPN LA 710. We begin with LAFC and Brian Rodriguez, the Uruguayan teenager, big part of their under-20 World Cup most recently where Uruguay played very well. I like what I saw out of him. He is a member of LAFC now, coming over from Peñarol, and Rodriguez is a a pure talent. So much ability. Who better to talk about him and the comings and goings of this uh, silly season, if you will, as it's known, than uh, the great executive vice president and general manager of LAFC. Joining us now for Black and Gold Breakdown, it's John Thorrington. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Always happy to be here. John, uh, first questions, uh, how's Uruguay in the summer? <laughs> Cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the the temperature shift down there is really significant. So, yeah, it was a, it was a cold trip. What, uh, John, we always ask this about players that you're uh, obviously LAFC is involved with. What kind of a player is Brian Rodriguez? I loved him at the U20s. Uh, what kind of a player is this young man? Yeah, Brian is a very exciting attacking player. And what we see in him is his unique ability one-on-one, his pace, agility, his technique. He's a, He's got a fairly full package, especially for somebody as young as he is mm-hmm. with incredibly high upside that we feel would fit very well within our system. Well, obviously you've had some incredible success in South America. Everybody knows the names and knows the players. Diego Rossi, Eddie Segura, Eduardo Tuesta, among others. What is it about it down there? You have some great scouting already in place, John. How did this happen so quickly for LAFC to kind of get that pipeline in place so well? I think one of the aspects of our our evolution of, as a as a club was I was given this two year runway mm-hmm. to really set up everything that I shouldn't say I we were given uh, this two year runway to to set things up and processes and really develop a robust scouting network and we're just you know you start to see that come to fruition and and I'm very grateful that we had that time to prepare before we actually went live because these conversations that feel uh nothing happens quickly i suppose and a lot of the signings that we've made were years in the making and and brian is no different we we've had him on our radar for a long time we have a fantastic scout in uruguay named victor who first alerted us to diego we have a great relationship with penyarol and there is a lot of talent and we think that the the that what they are producing in Uruguay has proven thus far to mesh well with, with what we're doing with Diego, and we hope that it's a fruitful p- pipeline for years to come. It, it is it has been so far, no doubt. And even with great relationships, it still seems like it's so difficult to get these deals done, John, with all the moving parts. I mean, that is a huge part of your job, no doubt, but how difficult is it really? It varies. It's rare that I would come away from a negotiation saying that was easy, but it does happen, and, <laughs> yeah. and it varies. And a lot of these things are outside of your control 
be it another club's interest or various other components to a conversation and a negotiation that, that are outside of our control. So we, we just put our best foot forward. Uh, I think our environment here every day is an incredibly open and collaborative one. There are no secrets. Everybody's communicating. And that gives us the conviction to really chase after players once we know and have identified those that we feel would be a good fit here at LAFC. And then I can't say enough about the commitment that our owners then show when, when we do have that conviction to go after somebody that they have provided the resources when, when necessary to continue to build our team. We are talking with LAFC Executive Vice President and General Manager John Thorrington here on Black and Gold Breakdown on Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Dunholm. Of course, uh, John, a huge part of putting together this Los Angeles football club that is currently top in the Western Conference, top in MLS, and now adding a piece. But, John, obviously, from very reliable sources, there are rumors that fly around, which is, you know, this is the silly season, no doubt. And, of course, one of those rumors is Diego Rossi linked with clubs. Let me ask it to this way. We have talked about it before. Is it the intent of the club to keep this team together to make a run at this postseason? In other words, this season's going so well. Do you believe that you're going to keep this uh, this team together for 2019? I think that yeah, I'm not I'm not going to dodge the question. I think we have to we have to take our owners and with the recommendation of of our football operation. Yeah. We have to take all of these things into account on a case-by-case basis. We have to think what is right for the team competitively, what's mm-hmm. right for the player as he looks to advance his career, and then also what makes sense economically. So everything gets thrown in, and there are times, as we saw last season with Laurent Simon and Omar Gaber, where the, the economics carried a, a great weight and it made economic sense for the club. We felt like we could survive competitively, Sure. By making those those sales, and th- that's the the process of deliberation that go- that takes place whenever we have interest in any of our players. How difficult is it? And it it, it is a fact with MLS teams and uh, versus most of the other teams, w- with the exception of some of the Eastern European. How tricky can it be with the March to November season? In other words, when it comes to transfers versus the typical European season, South American season. And, it's certainly a challenge. It's no yeah. secret for us. You know, we're operating at a di- on a different timeline and sense of urgency than the rest of the world, and so that does pose challenges. It uh, at times can provide opportunities as well, where you can have maybe an opportunistic trade here or there, which you see, uh, which you can see from time to time. So it, it's look, it is a challenge. There's no doubt about it because. Uh, whether it's purchasing or selling, we are operating on a different calendar, not just, uh, well, as a function of operating on a different calendar. The urgency of conversations with us relative to the rest of the world um, can provide its challenges. I have felt that openly this window when we've had uh, various conversations of players we're looking at and, and the teams, the timing just didn't work. The economics might have worked, but the timing didn't. So we, we definitely see that challenge does present itself but at times it also presents opportunities now speaking of rumors and stuff it's so much fun for fans at this time of year it's probably a headache for you guys of course this is a busy time but put a number on it in terms of the percentage of these rumors that are just have any kind of truth to them not even so much that this person will be sold but even that a conversation was going on maybe between teams is it like do 10% of these rumors even have any truth to them? Is it 5%? Is it 
you 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 would have to provide me with some insight here because I, ha- I just for sanity's sake have to stay away from the rumor <laughs> mill. But well, you, you could probably go back and fact check because you you wouldn't be able to test conversation, but certainly you can correlate yeah. rumors with eventual signings and. It is a really frustrating part of my job when everybody says everything's confidential, and a lot of the rumors are true. They yeah, come out, and yeah. I think, how the hell did that get out? <laughs> and and it's true, and obviously we have to stay neutral, but um, a surprising amount are true, but that is not to say there are some absolutely outer space rumors that, that find their way to me that have absolutely not a kernel of truth in them, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's both. Well, that's what people have to realize, too. Some of the rumors might be true, but it just doesn't mean a deal is going to get done either. It might have just been a phone call or something, you know. Correct. I would, I would peg most, I would actually peg the rumors as probably about 25 to 30% true, somewhere in that part. And again, doesn't mean every deal is going to get done by any means. So it's kind of interesting. Might be true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's very interesting. He is a busy man and we appreciate his time. John Thorrington here on Black and Gold Breakdown, LAFC Executive Vice President and General Manager. Continued success. Keep up the good work that you guys are doing there, John, you and your staff. And we thank you for the time. All right. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure. You bet. John Thorrington doing work as LAFC's Executive Vice President and General Manager joining us here. And, yeah, you heard that. It's very interesting how, look, there's a lot of great soccer journalists out there. There's some that aren't so great, but bottom line is uh, rumors fly. Doesn't mean that every deal is going to happen, but it also doesn't mean that every rumor is untrue at its face either. So it's very interesting to kind of get his perspective on that as well as we know what's going on. Uh, By the way, I did enjoy uh, what Brian Rodriguez has brought uh, to the uh, Uruguayan under-20 team. Let's just say that at the World Cup. If you get a chance to check out some highlights, he certainly is a player that has a lot of ability and a lot of skill, uh, no doubt about it. A, a very, very good player coming in at such a young age, too. And, you know, that's what you're looking for. I mean, we see it with uh, LA Galaxy, Christian Pavone, uh, certainly not like the youngest player by any means, but more skill, and especially coming from South America. It is just just absolutely fertile territory for MLS, and it has been really throughout the history of Major League Soccer, but getting even more and more deeply immersed in South America with teams like Inter-Miami, and look at the moves that they're making. Young players who have eminently, I guess I should say, they're so skilled and so young that certainly their look is going to be towards Europe and some of the bigger clubs potentially, and that is great. Nothing wrong with that in the least. Soccer fans, whether it's in America or abroad, MLS fans or otherwise, we're all savvy. We get it. You're going to bring in young players, and sometimes the purpose of that is to, yes, make your team better, and yes, develop these players to also sell them along. Sell their contracts for big money, potentially. It is a business, after all, and the players love that, and they know it. And now MLS is not a retirement league. This is a stepping stone for young, great talent. And uh, yeah, good to talk to John Thorrington about some of the inner workings of that as well, amongst all the deals that are flying and are legitimately happening. Some of these deals, wow. If we take a look around MLS, uh, how about, uh, yeah, even even a guy like, uh, even a guy like Bohan coming in, Bohan Kirkic, right, comes into Montreal. And, you know, look, He's a guy who's been around. He's Barcelona, Roma. We know him. Milan. 28. 28 years old. 
and Montreal gets him as a free agent. That is, I mean, look, it doesn't mean he's going to light up the league. I want to, you know, we're talking with Sebastian Salazar coming up in just a minute about the the Wayne Rooney stuff and DC United and some about MLS, of course. Seb's a great guy over at ESPN, ESPN FC. We love him, friend of the show. But even the move for with Wayne Rooney, you know what I love about it? That was a great move. Here's another factor. Wayne Rooney has been really good for DC, no doubt. He's played very well. He's not burning up the league. He has 11 goals, four of them through penalty. It's not like, oh, look out, Wayne Rooney, he's going to come over and score 40 goals in MLS a year. He's been great. But he's not lighting up the league. Even people like, oh, it's Laton, too good. He's getting 50 goals in 30 games. Stop. It just goes to show you how much the league has improved because Wayne Rooney is excellent, playing excellent football. He's not lighting up the league. He's not destroying MLS. It's a great sign. We love that. Even him leaving, I don't think it's bad business in the sense that of what it means. We'll talk more about that from, with Seb coming up. I am Dave Dunholm. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Oh, the hits just keep coming today here on Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Dunholm. Joined now by one of our favorites from ESPN and ESPN FC, the great Sebastian Salazar. Seb, how you doing, buddy? Good to talk to you. Hey, great to be with you guys. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you know, problem. We appreciate your time. Uh, Seb, let's get jump right to it. Wayne Rooney, the big news, of course, here is the transfer deadline looms, uh, making the move after the season to Darby County. How important was it, Seb, that he at least stays through this year? Does it make it easier for the fans to stomach this? I think it'll make the results on the field a little easier to stomach for the fans. I, I don't think it makes the disappointment mm-hmm. uh, any easier. I mean, you know, you guys know me. When it comes to DC United, I kind of walk that line between uh, reporter and fan, and yeah. it, it's just really disappointing. I mean, this is a, a, a player who had come in, who had really revitalized an organization that needed it so badly. The organization itself had struggled to kind of capitalize on that, but um, still he gave DC United a weight and importance. Uh, I think both uh, in in the global context of soccer, which made DC United fans kind of puff our chests out uh, in in MLS for sure. Certainly during that run last year, it gave DC United fans a, a reason to feel like they were at the center of the conversation again. Um, and then even in the city of Washington, like DC United hasn't mattered in a decade, and 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 Wayne Rooney kind of pulled DC out of that. So um, to lose him, and and then if you really follow the team and to see kind of the other pieces of the wagon, also wobbling and kind of sort of getting ready to look like fall off. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really disappointing. No, I, you can't dispute that, and he is a fan of D.C. United. Uh, Sebastian Salazar makes no bones about that. That's the way we love him, and that's why we wanted to talk to you, Seb. Uh, but, you know, they aren't that good at home this year. I And, again, this is not against Wayne Rooney because he's done everything he could. 11 goals, he's been spectacular. What has been the issue with this team? Not a bad defensive team? But they're not winning enough at home. A lot of draws. I mean, really, they've had kind of two seasons. They had the start of the season, which was really positive, just about through mid-May, yeah. uh, where they were playing well. And even when they didn't play well, they were getting results. And there were quite a few nights like that where you're like, hmm, this team's the first-place team, and the three points at the end of the night would confirm that for you, but the performance over 90 minutes probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Over their last 13 league games, they've got two wins. 
Um, so as you say, uh, the draws are piling up, and especially at home, and especially against competition that you would think um, that you would think they should be able to get the points. I mean, I was at the last game, a five-one loss against Philly. Man, uh, I mean, it was it was about uh, as much of a low point as you would think you could hit with um, with that much talent on the field and, and at the disposal of, of Ben Olsen and the staff. I think the reality is that last year was a little bit lightning in the bottle. Um, and the other thing is that Lucho Acosta really never was the same player that he was for the six to eight weeks that we saw him last year when him and Rooney really clicked. I think so much of that has to do with the mental state that Lucho was in after not getting the transfer to PSG. Yeah. He was really, really, really disappointed by that. And I think, frankly, directly, he never recovered. His form never recovered. And I think what you worry about now is, is, is Lucho's kind of one foot out the door. Rooney's kind of one foot out the door. A lot of the other big names that you know on this team, Lucas Rodriguez, Belloni from Estudiantes, Bill Hamid, um, he's on loan from Denmark, from Michelin in Denmark. So, like, you're just, just kind of like, hmm, what, what, what part of this team is permanent right now? Uh, and, and there aren't a lot of clear answers there. Well, they, you do have Ola Kamara coming in, who, for my money, one of the most underrated players in the history of MLS, despite not spending a whole lot of time in the league yet, he comes back from uh, China, which I think is the, uh, the the interesting thing about any move to China is, Seb, uh, the player usually goes back to his club, or at least the league that he's from, in about five months. So Ola Kamara coming back to D.C., which is a huge move. L.A. Galaxy fans know him well. And what about these rumors? You know, Stephen Goff, at Soccer Insider on Twitter, one of the best in the business, talking about Mesut Ozil maybe having conversations. That's got to intrigue you as a fan. Yes, yeah, so I would say, uh, and you know, I love my guy, my guy Steve. He's uh, he's the best. He doesn't get a lot of stuff wrong. So if Steve says there's smoke, yeah, I bet you somewhere in there there's a little bit of smoke. There's a little bit of fire. Um, I, I would say this the, the same thing. I would say, uh, well, I think there there are different classes, right? I think Rooney, we think, was past his peak. I think a lot of people now might say that that Mesodoso was also past his peak uh, in terms of influence, but but that he's still kind of in the peak of his. Uh, career at just 30 years old. Um, so I, I think that's a different player. I think it shows an ambition that, that would be great for DC United. And I think for the league as well. I think the league needs to be a little bit more ambitious in its, in its signings. If it's going to go big, go for guys who are in their prime big and not three or four years past it. Um, but I, I would warn, and this is, I think, kind of what was at the, at the root of all my kind of um, concern over the Rooney signing when it first happens. When you dabble in these big international signings, even when they go well on the field, in the case of a Rooney, but when they don't, um, it, you have to ask yourself what you're left with afterwards. Like, what kind of identity are you left with? And, yeah. and so I think that um, Mezzadoza would be great for, for two years to, to dance around players, and hopefully there's enough around him that you get to the playoffs and, and maybe nick a cup here or there, whether that's an Open Cup or an MLS Cup or a Supporter Shield, who knows. But I, I just wonder what you're left with after that. What have you sacrificed? What kids haven't you played? What academy opportunities have you not let out? What other um, local domestic players could you have been investing in sure. that, that maybe gives your club a little bit more of an identity? And I think, I think these teams, you see it's not just D.C., it's Orlando when Kaká left. It's New York City right now. What are you when, when your stars go home? It's a very valid point. Uh, Sebastian Salazar, of course, of ESPN and ESPN FC. Check him out on Twitter, at Sebi Salazar Foot. And uh, Seb, let me ask you from your perspective, you've seen all these teams throughout the league, of course, covering it as you do for ESPN. 
What is your assessment of LAFC? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, they're the best team, of course. They're, they have a great record, a, a points total that may end up being the best in the league. But what's your assessment of this team on the pitch, Seb? Yeah, I mean, when you're 14 points, what is it, clear of uh, everybody else in, in your conference? I think uh, I think it's, it's hard to nitpick, and I think you have to do it acknowledge anything you would say would be nitpicking, right? Yep. Um, I, I think the team is, is fantastic. I think, one, from an entertainment standpoint, it's really fun to watch. Um, and it's not fun to watch in a way where some teams in MLS are fun to watch, where it's kind of like chaotic and, and sixes and sevens, as they say. Uh, at the back, a disaster that's fun to watch because it's two ways. Uh, I think they're generally really, really fun to watch in, in what they do with the ball. It's, it's, it's something we don't get in MLS, and they get, should get a lot of credit for that. But the one thing I, I, I think that's a concern is, is the obvious, right? The, the, the one-game situations, yeah. whether it's yep. a cup, um, whether it's playoffs. Um, not, not can this team win. Obviously they can win. Come on, man. Look at those players. Of course they can win. But, um, you know, at some point does that, does that, that ghost start to become a thing that weighs on a team and makes it perform not up to its standard, and then you see um, it lose in kind of those big game settings. That, that's the thing they're going to have to prove because they haven't proven it yet. Yeah. I, and I would say, look, you, you saw what the formula was. The Galaxy kind of went directly at them, uh, a very physical, it was, it was a high-intensity, a high-press game. They really forced LAFC to try and kind of play around them. Um, but... but the Galaxy had a motivated on-fire slot on, and not, nobody else in the league has that. So, yeah. um, and I don't know that the Galaxy even have that every single week. So I, I think LAFC is in very, very good shape. I, I think, you know, when we've seen them wobble, it's been under kind of extreme circumstance. Tremendous stuff, as always. Sebastian Salazar, thanks so much, Seb. Check him out on ESPN and ESPN FC. Thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate it. Of course. The great Sebastian Salazar. Check his work out at ESPN and ESPN FC. More to come here on Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm hanging out with you here on the home of the beautiful game, ESPN LA here in Los Angeles. And joining me now, his name is Jonathan Higgins at jhiggins3 on Twitter. He's a broadcaster and journalist across the pond and he uh, works for the Redmen TV this is Anfield he's also on the radio we love that of course and I wanted to get his thoughts on Liverpool and Jonathan I'll break it right now as I have been previewing this or teasing this preview I believe this is Liverpool's year in the Premiership first of all happy to have you on second of all uh, how do they get that done this year Jonathan how can Liverpool win the Premiership and overtake Man City this season Hi, Dave. Firstly, thanks very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to, to speak to you guys. Um, yeah, um, it's, there's the challenge. There's the famous words that Liverpool fans have been singing for all <laughs> the time since you go back to 1989. And we um, Liverpool fans have been dreaming of a, of a league title since. Um, it's been quite high profile how Liverpool came so close last season. Um, it was a fantastic season. It ended up with great triumph in, the, in Madrid where Liverpool won their sixth European Cup. But ultimately fell short to an absolutely unbelievable team in Man City. In Man yeah. City. Um, Pep Guardiola's team were, were like, a, like a juggernaut. Um, Liverpool ran them so close. It was an epic battle. It went to the last day of the season and was still picked by a point. So the challenge is there. And already we have seen with the Community Shield last weekend where the two teams have started that little rivalry again. You saw little 
nice little kind of little edginess, a little mm-hmm. saltiness, particularly from Pep Guardiola. He's the battle is well and truly laid down, and it, it's definitely going to be the two teams, Liverpool and Man City, fighting for the title again. You look at it from Liverpool's point of view, haven't really strengthened that much. I thought, I thought Jurgen Klopp would push on a bit more. You consider as well they've lost a senior left back in Alberto Romano, um, a senior striker in Daniel Sturridge, and while both players didn't play a lot last season, they're still senior players, and they haven't really been replaced. Liverpool's transfers have been pretty much. Pretty much non-existent. They've signed a couple of little kids, actually kids that are playing for the under-21s tonight. That just shows you the level of faith that Jurgen Klopp has in his team. And I know from speaking to Jurgen Klopp previously and having sat down with him, he is very much, he sees the likes of Naby Keita coming back in the first season, the likes of Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, mm. Adam Lallana, and a few other players like that as kind of new signings to him because now he has more options in midfield. He sees that, small, the, if, you, if you look at Liverpool's Kind of, I suppose, shortfall in the last season. It's very hard to be Nick Pitty considering 97 points and it was an incredible season. But there was a period of games after January where you, 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 a couple of draws there that may have been turned into, into, uh, into victories and into a couple of more valuable points. Had there been a little bit more of a creativeness in the middle of the field, things would have stale there for a while. And he's going to rely on the likes of Chamberlain. We've seen Adam Lallan play a lot in the number six and Naby Keita come back and that guy has come back from, from his preseason, the short preseason, but he's come back so ripped. Wait till you see him in action again. <laughs> he, could, he, he could be the, the guy that triggers on. But yeah, it's, it's very much a case of where you feel like Liverpool will have to be as good as they were last season again and probably a bit more. Whether they can achieve that, that's a hell of a story, but we can, we can safely say straight away from watching last, last weekend and you know, watch that little bit. Although it's only you know, some might argue it's a needless pre-season game. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit edge there. The rivalry's there already, and it, it looks like hold on to your coats, folks. This is going to be some ride. Well, I can't disagree with that. We're talking with Jonathan Higgins over there, who uh, covers Liverpool among others uh, in the uh, Premiership and uh, takes care of that on the Redman TV. This is Anfield. He also covers it for radio, which of course we love here at ESPN LA seven ten, or at least I do. Now, Jonathan, he, he's absolutely right. Jonathan talking about Liverpool, Man City, the top two, no doubt. As you look at here's my problem with the, the Premiership, Jonathan. Of course, it's the best league in the world. I don't think there's any doubt of that. But my problem is no one but the top six can break the top six. Leicester did it a few years ago, and that just is the exception that proves the rule. I get that. But everybody else is playing to try not to lose too many times and get relegated. You know what I mean? Like I want to see a team maybe make a run up into the top six. I don't believe it's going to happen, but if you had to pick somebody outside of that six right now, and we know who the six are, if you had to pick one team outside of that six that maybe intrigues you, Jonathan, that I guess could have that surprising season, they're not going to win the Premiership, but who might be able to crack that top six this season? Yeah, it's a very it's a very valid point there, Dave, and I suppose it is one of the disadvantages of the way the league is kind of structured and the way the TV money is kind of imbalanced towards the people that achieve the most at the top yep. get the most money and then it's very it's a vicious circle it's very hard to break into that sure but I think if you look if you if you look at the next kind of the next tier down there's always kind of a bunch of teams underneath that kind of the sixth to the tenth spot there that are just so close and they're trying to make that next big step I think it has to be Wolves really personally they they came up last season and played a you know a nice stylish brand of football they have heavy investment as well um, they're very heavily linked to one of the powerhouse 
um, agents as well so they've been able to attract a high calibre of player and they already have they've bought quite, quite well uh, in the summer as well so they, they, they were a breath of fresh air last season it's always a difficulty we call it the second season syndrome where the team comes <laughs> up after, after from the championship plays yep. quite well and because they're a little bit unsure they're a little bit unknown they're kind of people don't know how to react against them mm-hmm. and they, 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 get, they achieve quite a lot the second time around it can be a bit more challenging but I think Wolves have a lot more attack to them they're very well structured they play a very kind of a unique brand they're one of the few teams in the Premier League to play with a, with a, a back three um, and they, they quite they like to attack the, the flanks quite well and they, they, they're actually from a tactical point of view without going all nerdy they're quite fun to watch because they do like to trigger the ball from, from one flank to the other quite a lot and spread the point of attack and they've, they've burned in place on the counter-attack the only problem you would say is with Wolves they've qualified for the early stage of the qualification of the Europa League yeah. so we've seen many many teams that struggle because there's a lot of heavy travelling on Thursday nights then they have a short turnaround after coming back and it's usually a smaller squad and they play again on the Sunday and it's such a short turnaround we saw Burnley last season it pretty much very very affected their form and they were almost they went from securing European football the season before to being pretty much in a relegation battle and that was just because of that extra burden and the extra fixtures but I think if you look at Wolves they have enough they have enough manpower, um, so they would be my bet for the next big thing. You look, you look around the, the West Ham have, have, have bought quite well as well. They're always they, they see themselves as a bigger team. Go back to the good old days. They play so well. They have a very shrewd manager in Pellegrini. They have the Olympic Stadium. They have the power of London. They've they've very much attacked a lot of their. They've bought a nice couple of attacking players as well. So they'd probably be looking to step up. Everton are pretty much gone crazy with their credit card and the, on the <laughs> towards the end of towards the end of the transfer window they've completely forgot about FFP and they've yeah. <laughs> they've tried to assign a number of attacking players as well they're looking to make that burst as well but I think out, to answer your question and I'm rambling a bit here but this is how much I love it I think Wolves are that closest team to yeah. be close to try and make that breakthrough all right here we go I'm going to put you on the spot Jonathan not not so much making you uh, predict this but my I hate to do this to some of my buddies out there, but my three relegated teams are as followed, and I, and I don't care about the order when you're down that okay. far. Uh, Norwich City, I like that club, I really do. I hope they stick around, and I don't think they're, but I don't think they're looking at it like they're going to do anything crazy. They just want to solidify themselves and pray they can get 17th. I think they're going to go down. Bournemouth, I don't know how they survived. To be perfectly honest with you, they gave up more goals. I think than oh gosh, I can't. You couldn't count the goals. And it's between two of the most bitter rivals in all of English football, Crystal Palace and Brighton. And I just don't think Palace is going to have enough. I think Palace is going down, Jonathan. Am I I completely crazy with these three? Ooh, you've you've gone right field there with a couple of those choices. Um, Palace is very much that bogey team. They almost feel like a team that should be a lot better than what they they perform. They sold a lot of, you know, they they didn't bring enough in. What are they doing? Yeah, and you you look at even today, Zaha, their, their star man has handed in a transfer request. So yeah. even if he's even if he stays, his head isn't going. Probably most likely going to be in a good place. And he's almost a, he's always that type of player that is very much kind of he's very headstrong. So when he gets kicked quite a lot because he's such a attacking player, he gets frustrated and then his game deteriorates a bit from it. So it is going that is going to be balanced. I do think they could be in the mix. They've a very interesting couple of days before the transfer window slams mm-hmm. shut. Um, my three to go down is I think Norwich as well unfortunately just won't have enough I think Sheffield United yeah they're right there well. it's such, it's such yeah. a challenge for them as well they haven't really invested a hell of a lot 
Premier League is a different animal. They're, I think they're going to struggle. And then my last one is Newcastle. Ooh, I just I think you know, that club, that cl- club is a mess. For me. We saw yeah. Ra- Rafael Benitez um, held that club together despite all the turmoil going off off the pitch. And I don't know how much you guys have heard about their owner, Mike Ashley, but to say... Let's put it politely. The fans wouldn't be the, his biggest fans at the moment. <laughs> They're not um, big fans, yeah. Well, but we no. love Miguel Almiron coming from MLS, and he's a great talent. So I really think, I think he, people are going to be surprised. But Almiron didn't find the back of the net for Newcastle, but he set up a lot of uh, you know goals with Iozzi at the time. Although you know, I understand Newcastle has really not improved themselves, but I, I think they might have enough. Jonathan Higgins at J Higgins three on Twitter. I can't believe how fast this has gone. Jonathan, great stuff. Thanks so much. He covers Liverpool over there and the Premiership, and we really appreciate you taking the time. This will not be the last time we have you on, if that's all right with you. I hope not. It's been a pleasure, and I can ramble all day long about about. Well, will I even call it soccer for you guys? I'll be I'll be polite tonight. Football, baby, whatever it takes to get the Premiership <laughs> rolling with Jonathan Higgins. We so appreciate it, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks so much, guys. Jonathan Higgins, at jhiggins3, broadcaster and journalist over there for the Redmen TV. This is Anfield. He works on the radio as well, covering Liverpool, who I believe is going to win the Prem, and, of course, the rest of the Premiership. We really appreciate that. Those are my three going down. Crystal Palace, Bournemouth, Norwich City. We know the top six. Not in any order, although I do believe Liverpool, it is their year. Man City is going to be right up there. Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham, and Chelsea. And then you have, of course, the middle seven who have to battle it out in uh, the bottom six, as we talked about. Brighton is going to be close. They could be real. Brighton needs goals. And I don't know that, you know, buying players from the lower division in England for big money is the I mean, look, I, Neil Maupé might be great from Brentford. I, he scored a bucket of goals down there, and I just, I'm not sold on the rest of their moves. I'm not. Although they didn't lose Lewis Dunk as of yet, last I checked here. So that helped. I mean, their defense was pretty good, pretty darn good, actually, if you look at the, some of the worst teams in the Prem last year. At times, I thought their defense played really great. They did end up leaking goals, and their goal difference got out of whack because they just couldn't score. But I think Brighton could have a pretty interesting year under new leadership and if they can get the goals. But I, it's all about goal scoring because it's a team like that. If they get, if they get going in the Prem, then you're talking – mid-table, but right now Crystal Palace and Brighton, to me, are going to be battling it out for that 18th and final relegation spot, unfortunately, for those two. And then, of course, whoever wins that battle is going to stick around for one more year. And that might be it as well. That is my Premiership preview. Here's the bottom line as I talked with Jonathan about it. My Premiership preview is wah-wah because at the top six, there's really no drama. It's the best league in the world, and there's no drama. How is that possible? frustrating it is very frustrating we got hey we got something that doesn't frustrate anyone stoppage time still to come i'm dave down home this is the home of world football in southern california it's soccer weekly on espn la 710 it is soccer weekly we've been rolling on here on espn la 710 what a show if you missed anything shame on you or more importantly sorry that you missed it but the good news is we do have the podcast you can go listen to that on uh, iTunes or the ESPN Pod Center. Just uh, search for Soccer Weekly. Subscribe, rate, and review. I can take it. Just give me the truth. We appreciate that. That would help tremendously. And we're looking forward to uh, getting your feedback. Hey, we've got the uh, LAFC here on the home of the black and gold taking on New York Red Bulls coming up on Sunday. It'll be on the ESPN app. 
you want to listen to that one. The Red Bulls a very, very tough team, but it's just been an amazing season so far for LAFC. Let's just keep it rolling as they are cruising in the Western Conference. But you know how this league is. Game in and game out, anything can happen, and it usually does, sadly. It isn't a cliche when it comes to MLS. Red Bulls coming in at 37 points, 11-9-4 in the East, are currently third as uh, we're doing the show tonight here, uh, going into that Sunday matchup. Of course, there's plenty of games on Saturday as well in MLS, but the Red Bulls, uh, not as dominant as they have been, certainly on the road as well, 3-5-3. and LAFC, as of yet, in MLS play, unbeaten at 9-0-1 at home. Again, you'll hear it on the ESPN app coming up on Sunday right here. And it's time now for our L.A. Care Injury Report, speaking of LAFC versus uh, Red Bulls. At L.A. Care, our mission's always been to provide quality, affordable health care coverage to all Angelinos. For more information, visit lacare.org today. L.A. Care for all of L.A. LAFC, of course, still having Javi Perez and Mohamed El Munir out for this game. Uh, Alejandro Guido still trying to get back from that right quad strain. And Pablo Cisniega has the right shoulder issue, which uh, not necessarily forced Tyler Miller back in the net, but with those two had been battling, going back and forth, who was going to start? Well, Cisniega now questionable with that shoulder sprain. Then we saw Tyler Miller get the shutout in the most recent victory over New England Revolution. Uh, Speaking of the Red Bulls, uh, Florian Vallo uh, had the uh, torn ACL. He's been out, and uh, Alex Muil is questionable. He's got a groin injury, according to the MLS soccer uh, official injury report. So that is your L.A. Care injury report here on ESPN L.A. It is time now for uh, one of the greatest segments in all of radio, of course. It's stoppage time. What time is it? It's stoppage time! Yeah! Stoppage time! It's stoppage time! Right now! The great Mario Reeves, the producer of this show, the producer of LAFC here on ESPN LA, and the host of Stoppage Time. Welcome, Mario. What's going on, buddy? My man, what a what a packed show, jam packed oh. show. Whew, tired. It's so good. It's been so good. Oh my goodness. Uh, we got to keep it rolling on though. Uh, Philadelphia Union captain Alejandro Bedoya went viral over the weekend. I'm sure everybody has seen this by now. Uh, after scoring a goal, he calls out Congress by grabbing the microphone over there, laying down over by the corner kick area on the field there. He grabbed the microphone and says this. The captain comes up with a very big goal. Hey, Congress, do something now and gun violence. Let's go. So he calls for uh, Congress to end gun violence by grabbing the microphone, something that is very rarely seen in soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Uh, Bedoya certainly not a, uh, doesn't shy away from his opinions if you follow him on Twitter. And that was spur of the moment. Obviously, he doesn't know he's going to score a goal. He doesn't know he's going to do it that quickly in the game. That was, uh, by the way, J.P. Della Camera you heard uh, right at the opening of that. So here's the thing. MLS decides not to suspend him, not to fine him. That is the right move, of course. Sometimes, look, I know leagues don't like to get political, right? They try to stay neutral, Mario, for the most part, as much as they can, generally speaking. But when you're talking about a tragedy like had befallen uh, our country, not just the cities of El Paso and uh, Dayton, uh, but that was really, that was heartfelt, right? He doesn't know he's going to score. That wasn't planned. That wasn't like some kind of... Uh, thing that, you know, wasn't off the... It was heartfelt. He was just talking like everybody, you know, like we all feel. And I'm so glad MLS didn't suspend him 
or fine him or anything. Now, they would have received so much backlash. Oh, my goodness. And rightfully yes. so. So I'm not saying, you know, I don't know what the you know reasoning is, but you have to take each incident at times. You got to take them by the, you know, in their own merits for their own reasons. You have to be smart about these things. And kudos to the league. I'm not giving them too much praise because there was no way they should have fined him or suspended him. In my humble opinion, I don't care what side of the political that doesn't matter. And this was a move that you know MLS needed to do, which was not making a move against. Ali Bedoya for speaking his mind in the way he did. It was passionate, it was honest, it was real, and it was timely, and I'm just glad. I'm glad it, uh, that Ali Bedoya got to speak like he did on the issue and did not get punished for it. That would have been ridiculous, frankly. Yeah, definitely the right move by MLS. And uh, Bedoya went on to say uh, this after the game in post-game conference. Uh, post-game comments. It's absurd, man. I mean, I'm not going to sit idly and, and watch this stuff happen and not say something. Before I'm an athlete, before I'm a soccer player, I'm a human being first. This stuff affects me. I got kids. Something's got to be done. Um, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's, we've almost become numb to it. And that's a big problem. Yeah, well, he's right about that. Uh, the, the numbness part, no doubt. But he's also right about he's not just an athlete. I'm so tired in the political discourse of America, when we try to stop people from speaking their mind, you know, it, actors feel you know feel this a lot. I know you know us being in LA, we kind of relate to this maybe a little bit more with the actors speaking out, and then people are like, just stick to acting or stick to being an athlete. No, they're citizens, they're Americans, they they have opinions. It's fine. I mean, you don't have to agree with them on everything. So what? I just hate when people denigrate others by the, oh, you're just your job. Stick to that. Nobody says stick to, you know, stick to plumbing. You don't have a right to an opinion or stick to your data entry or stick to being, a, you know, a DJ or something. No, people have their opinions. That's fine. And, uh, you know, Alejandro Bedoya is right about that 100% as well. Stop the time! Dave, it looks like uh, LAFC fan favorite Latif Blessing is going to be with the LAFC for a while through the 22, uh, through the 2022 season, for a matter of fact. Uh, LA Football Club announced today that the club has agreed to a new multi-year contract with Latif Blessing, keeping the 22-year-old attacker in LA through 2022. Okay, so the happiest person about that, well, is, of course, Latif Blessing. But the second happiest person about that deal is my dad. Because <laughs> Latif Blessing's his favorite player, and they get the deal done. You know, it's a great, it's a great move for the team. They needed to do this, Mario. Latif has been so good since coming over in the expansion draft. So deserving. So deserving. Three goals, five assists, but that doesn't even tell the whole story about what Latif has done on the pitch and off the pitch for this club. You saw it when he scored that goal in the game against New England. Just such beautiful football. Everybody was excited for him because it was such a great team goal. Yes. And he deserved it, and he finished it off perfectly. And it's a great reward for guys working hard and doing a lot of the dirty work, which Latif Blessing has done. Yeah, just magnificent. That's such good news. And look, bottom line, we, we talked about it earlier in the show, not only with John, but you know, around the, the talking with John Thorrington. Sometimes guys move on, right? So who knows? Now you have Latif Blessing's contract locked up. You, he, he may not be here forever. That's fine. But, you know, you have that deal done where you, now you can have some flexibility with a great player like that who may well have some value, you know, to others around the, uh, the footballing world, let's just say. So you, you, it's a good bit of business for LAFC, but it's great for Latif. He totally deserves it. 
Oh, for sure. When he checks into the game, he definitely lives up to the name Game Changer. He comes yeah. in with that energy, and the crowd goes crazy. He's definitely a fan favorite there. And he's just stepped in and just done whatever they needed him to do, whether it's during a game going back to, like, right back at times yes. or whatever. Whatever it takes. Great stuff. Whatever it takes to listen to Soccer Weekly, you should be doing that so much. Great stuff today. If you missed any of it, check out the podcast at iTunes or at ESPN Pod Center. Just search for Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Dunholm. Hit me up on Twitter at TalkSoccer. Thanks so much to Mario and the guys back in the studio. Thank you for listening on the home of world football here in Southern California. This is ESPN LA 710.